Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days. A serialized non-fiction podcast that chronicles the story of 15-year-old Adrian Wilson's 147-day battle with primary liver cancer. As she lay dying, Adrian taught others, including her older sister Andrea, who raised her, how to live. Welcome back to Better Off All the Life in 147 Days. I'm your host and storyteller, Andrea Wilson-Woods. Whether you're watching the video or listening to the podcast, I really appreciate you tuning in. Let's get started. Days 14 through 17, Tuesday through Friday, May 29th through June 1st, 2001. When I was eight, my mother realized that she was extremely mentally and physically ill and sent me to California to live with my sister, who was at that time 22. This is probably the only wise choice my mother has ever made. I believe by then she realized that I had given up my childhood to raise the fragile, drug-addicted mental case she had become. Adrian's letter to a friend dated January 2001. Going home is scary. We spend the entire morning packing up our things and gathering our discharge materials. A bright yellow booklet with shadows of two girls jumping in the air is labeled Discharge Instructions. I can picture the publisher discussing the cover art. It must convey, happy, 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 because these kids are delighted to be going home. I peruse the table of contents. When to call the doctor. Taking the temperature. Giving medicines by mouth. Blood counts. Transfusion therapy. Going back to school, etc. Even though it is not in the book, I know when Adrian's platelets are down, she is not allowed to shave, cut her nails, or blow her nose due to the risk of bleeding. I think Ronnie told us a few days ago. A nurse gives Adrian a volumetric exerciser and shows her how to use it. This plastic item is designed to maintain and improve inspiratory volume and respiratory fitness. It is a treadmill for the lungs. Adrian must do it five or more repetitions, three times per day. She takes a deep breath and inhales into the mouthpiece. Her breath causes the pump to rise in volume by milliliters. To keep it simple, there are marks on the side labeled good, better, and best. She must strive for best. On her first attempt, she can barely make it to good. You try, sissy. It's harder than it looks. She's right. I can get between good and better, but I feel like passing out afterward. I already know forcing Adrian to do lung exercises will be harder than making her swallow a handful of pills. I have the discharge papers from the hospital's computer in my hand, but we cannot leave yet. We are waiting for Adrian's prescriptions to be filled by the in-house pharmacy. I read down the list. Bactrim. By mouth twice a day. 8 a.m., 8 p.m. Antibiotics to prevent infection. Is this necessary? Boost. Drink as you want. A nutritional drink and similar to ensure. Adrian likes it because it tastes like chocolate milk. Low overall tab by mouth once a day, 8 a.m. Birth control to prevent her period from occurring in order to prevent unnecessary bleeding. Doubtful. The birth control caused her to have her period. Nupogen shot subcutaneously once per day, 8 a.m. Medicine to increase white blood cells. Adrian says make sure I'm not quite awake yet. Nystatin. Swish and swallow four times a day. 8 a.m., 12 p.m., 4 p.m., 8 p.m. 
antifungal to prevent potential mouth sores caused by chemo. Easy enough. Percolase. By mouth twice a day as needed, 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Still softener to lessen constipation caused by most painkillers. No problem. Tylenol number three, by mouth every four hours as needed, 8 a.m., 12 p.m., 4 p.m., 8 p.m., 12 a.m., 4 a.m. Painkiller. Tylenol three for cancer pain? I was prescribed Vicodin after my appendectomy. What the hell? Zofran, by mouth every eight hours, 8 a.m., 4 p.m., 12 a.m. Anti-nausea that is prescribed after Adrian feels nauseous within days of being at home. I make a mental note to write Adrian's meds on the small dry erase board calendar that I had bought to create our computer schedule. A year ago, my father and stepmother gave us a used computer for Christmas. That same Christmas, Adrian received her own telephone line. Between the two telephone lines, the computer, and the internet, we stepped into the modern world and stumbled into new complications. John, Adrian, and I were always arguing about whose turn it was on the computer. If Adrian was instant messaging her friends, I would remind her she had her own phone now and she didn't need to talk to them on the computer. But it's not the same, sissy, she explained to me. I attempted to establish a schedule, but John would forget to write his name down and then grumble when he didn't get his time. I finally limited Adrian to one hour on the internet Monday through Friday and two hours on weekends. I told John to use the computer when Adrian was sleeping, and I grabbed time for myself whenever I could. The calendar lay under my desk, dusty and unused. Now it would serve a much higher purpose. We arrive home in the early afternoon. The house smells of bleach and Lysol. I don't remember ever seeing it this clean before. The living room looks barren without our broken wicker couch. We had two chairs, but now one stands alone, beige, suede, and bland. It is in complete contrast with the forest green carpet, which looks brand new. John spends thousands of dollars on state-of-the-art entertainment equipment. We have the newest VCR, DVD player, 36-inch color TV, surround sound, etc., but he won't chip in a few hundred dollars for decent furniture. Everything we own is donated, secondhand stuff from friends who pity us. Adrian is tired, so she settles into her new bed for a nap. We know she can recline, but lying all the way down hurts her back. After arranging her numerous pillows into their new supportive position, I tuck her in and proceed to my office where I find trash bags full of her clean stuffed animals. More of Adrian's belongings are in the garage, stuff that was not cleaned or too difficult to clean. I can't go through her things now. I need to set up shop in the kitchen. After listing Adrian's medications on the dry erase board, I locked them up in the tackle box along with the supplies for her central line. Ronnie gave us almost a dozen clamps to put in various locations. The clamps look like small blue scissors. They are used to stop the line from spewing blood if that should ever happen. I already gave a few to Anya and Alex for their house and cars. I put one in my car, John's car, Adrian's bathroom, the kitchen, and the tackle box. The clamps are also used when I flush each line, which I must do every morning. When I peek in on Adrian, she is still asleep. Except for the occasional earthquake, nothing wakes her up. She has always been a sound sleeper. By the time she was six weeks old, she was sleeping through the night. I used to sing her lullabies even though I am tone deaf. She didn't mind. She would curl her arm around her Minnie Mouse stuffed animal and squeeze it so tight. Poor Minnie would have asphyxiated had she been alive. Close your eyes, I would say, and then I would begin. 
Good night, sweetheart. Well, it's time to go. Good night, sweetheart. Well, it's time to go. I hate to leave you. I really must say. Good night, sweetheart. Good night. From that point on, I would change the McGuire sisters' lyrics to suit our lives. Three o'clock in the morning became nine o'clock at night. Baby, I can't treat you right. Morphed into, it's time for you to sleep tight. Adrian was out cold by the third verse. Nights were easy, but during the day, Adrian transformed into a holy terror as she entered her toddler years. She had a bizarre cowlick that made her hair stand straight up from the top of her head, which made her look like a devil. Screaming sissy at the top of her lungs was her favorite pastime. Whether it was running through the dance studio, falling on the playground, or standing up on a chair at my high school graduation, Adrian made her presence, as well as her relationship to me, known to the world. Her shrieking didn't bother me, though, unless she was having a temper tantrum in public. One time at the mall, when Adrian was about three years old, I walked away from her hysterical fit on the ground. I never took my eyes off her, but an old woman berated me for abandoning my poor, helpless child. I lost count of the number of times I said, she's my sister, not my kid. With his dark hair and sapphire blue eyes, my high school boyfriend Bryce was often mistaken for Adrian's father. He wanted a pin that read, she's not mine. Adrian spent so much time with my friends and me that she adopted our slang. When she told our mother to chill out, man, I laughed so hard I almost cried. She pranced around the house, swinging her hips as she sang Tiffany's remake of Locomotion and Lisa Lisa and the Cult Jam's Head to Toe. She watched MTV with me when the network still showed videos. For Halloween, she was a punk rocker a la Joan Jett. Even my all-time favorite movie, The Wizard of Oz, became one of her favorite movies, too. Bryce would buy Adrian McDonald's milkshakes and read to her as bribes to give us time alone. Bryce retold the story of Snow White to reflect the people in our lives. When Bryce pointed to a particular dwarf, Adrian would say the person's name. Sleepy equaled Sissy. Happy equaled Lisa, my best friend. Doc equaled Bryce. Sneezy became Sleazy, Jack, Bryce's friend. And Bashful equaled Shelly, my shy friend. She would point to Dopey and yell, That's me! My mother thought less of Bryce when Adrian told her she was grumpy. John stays with Adrian while I run errands. We have not been home for two weeks and we need food. I don't know what possesses me to go to the Burbank Temporary Aid Center. I must have driven by it more than a hundred times over the last four years, but I have never stepped foot inside the place. When I walk in, my nose crinkles at the smell of poverty. Government-issued American cheese blocks, roach traps, and mice droppings, week-old white Wonder Bread, and stale bran muffins. I want to turn around and run. This is not my life. I am not homeless. We don't need food. We don't need this food. But we do. After I explain my situation and sign a form, two women fill up two bags full of groceries. There are dry goods, which have a long shelf life, but there are also rotting bananas, old apples, day-old muffins, and a cake that expired a week ago. Even as I thank them, I vow not to return. Cancer has consumed Adrian's liver, her lungs, and now our lives, but I refuse to let it take our self-respect.
On Wednesday, we wake up and begin the first morning of our new life. At 7.45 a.m., Adrian gets out of bed. Two weeks ago today at this time, she was on her way to school, but that was before I have to deal in the now. I wash my hands with the antibacterial sanitizer located next to her supply tackle box. Adrian sits at the kitchen table watching me lay out the items needed for our first task on a clean paper towel. The two lines coming out of her chest must be flushed with saline to prevent blood clots. A strong flush is 500 units. A weak flush, given if blood has been drawn that day, is 50 units. Like today, most days are a strong flush. If this were a poker game, we would be winning. First, I clamp one of Adrian's lines. Using a needle, I pull back the plunger to fill the syringe with saline. If there are air bubbles, a strong tap with my middle finger or a pin gets rid of them. I remove the needle and drop it in the red sharps container. I wipe the cap on the line with alcohol, connect the cap to the syringe, release the clamp, and inject the saline in a steady, continuous motion. Adrian flinches. She can feel the cold water running through her chest. It doesn't hurt, she says, but it is uncomfortable. After flushing one line, I repeat the entire process on the other line. By 8.15 a.m., we are finished with flushing. I know I'll get faster as time passes, but I fear one day I will master the art of flushing a central line. No parent wants that kind of expertise. Even though I am a good caregiver, I never wanted to be a nurse like our mother, but here I am nursing Adrian. I look around. Our kitchen resembles an outpatient clinic now, but we are home, and that is all that matters. In the middle of the night, I hear a weak, sissy float down the hall. Adrian is awake and in pain. It hurts to walk, she says. I give her Tylenol 3 because it's the only painkiller the doctor ordered. I wait until morning to call our case manager, Teresa Granados. We discuss the possibility of switching Adrian to Dilaudid, the medication she had in the hospital. Less than 24 hours later, I call again because Adrian is experiencing cramping and having small runny bowel movements. Teresa recommends Melanta, an easy over-the-counter solution. Although both her gas and joint pain lessen and her energy increases, Adrian's right ear begins ringing. By Friday, both ears ring and Adrian panics. I can't lose my hearing, sissy. Tell them. I can't. When I call for a third time, Teresa says keep track of when the ringing occurs. I write down everything in a black spiral notebook that becomes our personal medical Bible. Within weeks, I color code the entries with multiple highlighters. Yellow indicates tests, transfusions, blood counts, and changes in meds. Orange stands for vomiting, and green means Adrian is having her period or a chemo treatment. I pick the colors randomly, although I find it strange that I group menstruation and chemotherapy under the same color. I must subconsciously believe they are both forms of torture. On Friday, I keep my appointment and follow up with Alice from the Social Security Administration. Last week, she gave me her direct line so I could call her back when she had more information. After exchanging initial pleasantries, we get down to business. The cloak of secrecy has come off. For whatever reason, Alice is allowed to tell all now. Unbeknownst to me, Adrian was eligible to receive Social Security benefits when our mother was approved for full disability. Alice explains our mother lied on the application and claimed Adrian lived with her. For the last five years, she has received a separate check for Adrian. The current amount she receives as payee is $672 per month. 
as soon as I hear the word $672, I remember the phone call from our Medi-Cal caseworker earlier this year. She accused me of lying about Adrian's income. She kept insisting Adrian was receiving over $600 per month from another program. The caseworker was ready to cancel Adrian's medical insurance until I begged her not to. I offered to give her copies of my taxes, my pay stubs, anything she wanted. Adrian's not getting any money, I said. There has to be a mistake. I feel like a fool now. Somehow Medi-Cal discovered our mother's scheme, but they stopped digging after I told them they were wrong. Why didn't I ask more questions? Because I didn't want Adrian to lose her medical insurance. And I didn't like being called a liar. All those thoughts fly through my head in under a minute. I don't bother to tell Alice. However, I listen as she explains what the next step is. I have to file a claim to have the payee switch from our mother to myself, which means I have to prove Adrian lives with me. Alice says school records, such as report cards, letters, and awards should be enough. She keeps apologizing for their egregious error, but I don't blame her or Social Security. A large federal bureaucracy can't be held responsible for all the liars in this world. They should have confirmed Adrian lived with our mother, but they didn't. When I tell Adrian about the situation, she replies, That's mother. Is Adrian wiser than I am for expecting the worst from our mother? She has done terrible things, but I never expected her to cheat her own child. The single tear sliding down my cheek represents the last bit of respect and love I have for our mother. I don't know when or why, but I can see from the look on Adrian's face she gave up a long time ago. What is the value of a daughter's love? I want to know exactly how much money our mother got at Adrian's expense. From my rough estimate, it is a minimum of $35,000. I want to shake our mother and yell, Was it worth it? You lost two daughters for a mere five figures. Don't you know our love is priceless? Thank you for watching and listening to Better Off Follow the Life in 147 Days. I especially appreciate you tuning in today with my cold and also finishing on um, that tough note. I don't like reliving that moment when I found out what our mother did. It's really hard for me. So, But thank you for tuning in. Please subscribe to my channel and stay tuned for the next episode. You just heard a chapter from Better Off Ball, A Life in 147 Days, a story told and written by Andrea Wilson Woods. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast, share it with your friends, and leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening. <laughs>